You ought to already be on your face before the Lord this morning. You ought to be giving him all the honor and the glory because no one can contest the fact that he is worthy, worthy to be, to be praised. Don't get any of it confused during this time of uncertainty. God is still in charge still on the throne, still blessing us and keeping us. Might be a little bit difficult in your own personal circumstances, but I can only imagine how bad it would be if God wasn't in charge. We thank, we thank him for all he's done. We give him all the glory. Oh, I love him this morning. It's, some mornings are more difficult than others to get up in do what we need to do but but God enables us to do all that's necessary make no mistake about it come pestilence or problems and persecution the church will go on what I love about the situation that we now find ourselves in in the community is God arranged a situation that allowed more people to be exposed to the teachings of Christ, to his work. People who wouldn't have thought about getting up, coming to church, are now letting church come to their house. I love it. It's a great opportunity, and I'm so glad to be here just another Sunday morning to celebrate with you. All our folk are in place. Clearly our musicians are here and thank them this morning for their ministry of celebration through music. Thank them for their dedication and for all those who are here making this possible. If they were left to Andre, this wouldn't be possible because Andre doesn't have the ability or giftedness to be able to put all that's necessary together to come to you, but God. But God enables those who are to be willing to come and to share what they know so that we can bring the church to you. And so we're here again, and it's time for a word from the Lord. We've been preaching this last month on a series entitled Women in the Bible. Women in the Bible. And even though last Sunday was Mother's Day, we deviated just a little bit, just a little bit from the core topic, we still talked about the model mother, which I believe echoes this same theme of women in the Bible. I am glad to introduce you to some women who never get any, never get any teaching time in our, in our teaching ministries of our church. We always go to the Ruths and the Esthers and, and those folk. We always go to them. But there are other people, other people who deserve attention too. There are people who labor and whose, whose life give us lessons that we can use to help our own personal situations. And today I want to introduce you to a woman some of you may not have heard of. She doesn't jump up on the radar very often. And she's found in the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 
25. There's a woman there by the name of Abigail. Abigail is famous because she is a good wife. Somebody ought to shout hallelujah on that. That's the purpose of her lesson to us. But I want to talk to you for a little while this morning about Abigail, a woman who married a fool. A woman who married a fool. <laughs> yeah, all we know about her is found in this chapter. But before we finish today, I believe you're going to appreciate her wisdom, her decisiveness, and her sensitivity. I believe you're going to understand that she used all her interpersonal skills, all her patience, to support her husband in the matter at hand. Let me see if I can give you a historical background on what we're talking about this morning. Abigail was married to a man named Nabal. And the story that's taking place in 1 Samuel includes another central figure. It's Abigail, Nabal. And the other central figure in the story is David, our King David, the one who has been anointed but is not on the throne yet. In fact, the backdrop to the story is because David's not on the throne. In fact, he's running from his predecessor, Saul, because Saul is so insanely jealous of David. He's so insanely jealous of him that he absolutely cannot stand to see him in the kingdom. And so David and 600 of his fighting men are hiding out in the wilderness. While they're hiding out in the wilderness, David and his men are taking care of some security duties for one of the local ranchers. That rancher happens to be Nabal. They didn't do it because Nabal asked him to. They didn't do it because Nabal uh, was a good man. They simply did it because they were good men. Let me see if I can start you out. This is a long chapter, something about these Old Testament chapters. They're very wordy. I wouldn't dare try to read all of it to you, so you're going to have to follow along with me. I hope you've got your Bible with you today. Verse 1 reads, And Samuel died, and all the Israelites were gathered together and lamented him, and buried him in his house at Ramah. And David arose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. It's an amazing thing that happens when a spiritual leader leaves. Suddenly, David knows that his life is even more in jeopardy. So he takes his fighting men and he goes out to the wilderness of Paran. Paran is that area near uh, where the Caleb and, and, and Jacob went out to spy. That's where the Israelites camped out for that time before the Lord would allow them to get into the promised land. They're in the wilderness surrounding this area. And while they are there, they protect Nabal's flock. Because they protected his flock, as is the custom during that time, 
David, according to verse 2, asked for some help. Let me see if I can read it in verse 2. It says, And there was a man in Maon whose possessions were in Carmel. And the man was very great, which means he was very wealthy. And he had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats, and he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now the name of that man was Nabal, and the name of his wife Abigail. And she was, watch this, verse 3, she was a woman of good understanding and a, of a beautiful countenance. So not only was she intelligent, she was beautiful. She had the winning combination and she's married to him. David comes and he asks Nabal for some provisions for his 600 men. You can imagine it takes a lot of provisions for 600 men to be taken care of on a daily basis. And that scripture would have it when he sent the two men out to ask Nabal for some help. Nabal had the audacity to tell him no. Now let me make sure I, I want you to understand how this whole story plays out. Because sometimes unless you read the full scripture, you don't get the full context of it. There's this rich man. The Bible says that he's so wealthy that he has 3,000 goats and sheep, 4,000 really, goats and sheep together. You can imagine how much, 4, 000, how much land 4,000 uh, animals need to graze on. That's a huge area. He has his own shepherds out there taking care of them. But if you've got 4,000 animals, it stands to reason that there's somebody out there trying to pick off some of your animals. The Bible says that David and his men who were hiding in the woods nearby took it upon their own action to protect Nabal's troops, protect his, his shepherds, and to protect his sheep and his flock. They weren't asked to do it, and they weren't paid to do it. But because they had done it, when they hear that the owner of the farm, of the ranch, has come near, David merely sends two men to ask him, Sir, my master has done you a great service by protecting your sheep these many days. Can you please give him anything that you can find it in your heart to give so that we can take care of all of our soldiers? But Nabal's name gave an indication of how he was going to respond. You see, the Hebrew name Nabal means fool. Nabal's response to these two men was not only wrong-headed, but it was an insult to David. He said, who is this David? Slaves have been running away lately, and I don't know who Jesse is. So not only did he insult David, he insult insulted his entire family name, and he told them to get away from him. The two men went back and told David exactly what was said. You got to know that this is not going to end well for Nabal. Now, why did these men think that they could go to Nabal and ask? We have a custom in our community whenever we go out and eat somewhere. We haven't done it lately. We, we still do it, though, even though we're not in the restaurants. And someone performs a good service. It's not required. But if they do a good service, you tip them. You tip them for going above and beyond the service. And some people, when they go really above, get a great tip. 
Now, the waiter's not going to come and ask you for a tip, even though they've gotten a little bit more uh, aggressive with it by putting it on the bottom of your ticket. But tipping is simply to say thank you for a good job. That's what David was doing. David said, without being asked, without being contracted, my men have protected your sheep. They protected not only your sheep, they protected your shepherds. Not only have they protected your shepherds, they got along well with your shepherds. And all I'm asking you to do is break off a little something for us so that we can have provision for ourselves. And what do you do? You insult me. And David was insulted, and so he told his men right away, mount up. I can just hear the theme from regulators. He, he, just, he had 600 men running around there. I can hear it. He said, he said, go get 400 men. Leave 200 here to take care of our campsite. He said, and when you go down in the ball's farm, he said, I want you to kill every man down there, any man associated with him. I want you to take him out. Now, I don't agree with, with David's course of action. I don't know that he was due to kill all the men, but that's the stage that's been set. 400 men riding toward Nabal's house. Nabal's insulted the future king of Israel, but one servant had sense enough to get out ahead, to get out ahead of what was going on. And they ran to the house where Abigail was and told Abigail everything that happened and begged her to intervene or else everyone in the house would sustain disaster. Now you need to know this. The Bible says clearly that they went to Abigail because they couldn't talk to Nabal. He was such a hard-hearted man such a cruel man. I got sense enough to believe that Nabal wasn't just cruel to his servants. I bet he was cruel to his wife too. I bet he took her for granted. I bet he did not respect her. And because of that, the whole house had been jeopardized. Now the question is, what does a wife do under those circumstances? What do you do to protect your whole household? I'm sure your children servants and other people who work with you you love when you know that your husband is a fool. What do you do to make sure that disaster doesn't come? Well, the question is, what would you do? What would you do if your husband put you in that situation? How would you resolve it? Abigail's actions are our teaching moments for this morning. Abigail's actions show us that even though situations might look bleak, you don't have to go to drastic circumstances in order to resolve problems when you have a fool that you're married to or when you have someone you're married to and you're simply not getting along. Watch this, watch this. David has got 400 men riding toward Nabal's house. Abigail is afraid because she knows when they get there they're gonna kill everyone. Her husband is eight miles away where he's shearing sheep and is not aware yet that calamity is coming. So, Abraham, so Abigail gets on the phone, watch this, Alvin. She calls up Eugene and says, Eugene, I need a family reunion to go right now. You need to put together everything you can. She starts 
She starts killing sheep. She starts baking pies and baking cakes. She starts baking bread. She gets enough food together to feed 600 men, and she rushes that food down to David. And lo and behold, just as David is getting to the ravine that's near their home, Abigail meets him there. She gets down on her knees and she begs him, Father, dear Lord, please forgive my husband for what he's done. He was not aware of the actions he took. And please accept this small token as a, an appreciation for what we've done. In other words, if the ticket at the bottom of your order said 10%, she went all the way over to nothing and put 75% because she understood that they were about to lose everything. David found such favor in what she'd done. Found such favor that this beautiful, intelligent woman had come to him and pacified not just the, 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 the king, but also knew how to intervene for a husband who was a fool. Found such favor in what she was doing that he accepted the gifts from her. Now watch this. What lessons do we get? What lessons do we get from this woman who had enough politics about her to be a UN in her own community? She made peace with both sides, thus saving her whole family. Not only did she save her family, she saved her husband and his business, and she saved all the men who were with David. She stopped David from being as bloodthirsty as he was by her kindness. So what lessons do we get from this? The first lesson you get from Abigail, found eight, verses 18 through 32, you'll see them in there, is differences between a husband and a wife don't mean that a marriage can't go on. She could have packed her grip. She could have gotten everything she needed, gotten her servants, and gotten out of town. But that wouldn't have solved the core problem. She would have still left people behind. She would have still left her whole life behind. There are a whole lot of couples who reach a bad spot in their marriage. That spot comes because of disagreement. And the first thing that comes to mind is divorce. The first thing that comes to mind is let's break up. Abigail is living proof that even when you're living with somebody who is a fool, you do not have to dissolve your marriage. There's still work that can be done. Look, a study of, of, of divorced couples gave these results that after a year of divorce, 60% of men and 73% of women feel that they made a mistake and should have worked harder to make their marriage work. I don't, I don't think there's any doubt that Abigail here is making every step she can, taking every step she can to make her marriage work. I guarantee you there were days in her marriage when she had to think hard for reasons to stay with him. Let me give you some backdrop on this. Abigail was probably in an arranged marriage. She had probably been with Nabal since she was a young woman. And so she had to learn how to deal with his circumstances. And because he was probably older than her, he didn't respect her. But that didn't change the fact that she respected herself. It didn't change the fact that she knew her own worth. She understood what she needed to do to run the house. You also need to understand this. I told you that his business was in one place 
and his home was in another, which meant that every day she had the responsibility of taking care of the entire household. She took care of that, and she knew the people and loved the people, and because of that, she was going to do every single thing she could in order to protect them. And so she knows, I can't let these 400 bloodthirsty soldiers come to my house. I've got to reach this man named David. I want you to hear what she says to David. Verse 24 says, and she fell at his feet and said, upon me, my Lord, upon me, not my husband. She said, upon me, let this iniquity be. And let thine handmaid, I pray thee, speak in thine audience and hear the words of thy handmaid. She said, let not my Lord, I pray thee, regard this man of Belial even the ball, for his name is, so is he. He was foolish, Lord, I admit it. I admit his actions do not deserve supporting, but do not kill him, Lord. She said, but I, thine handmaid, saw not the young man of my Lord, whom thou didst sin. I didn't see them, because if I had, we would have had a different conversation. Now therefore, my Lord, as the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, Seeing the Lord hath withholding thee from coming to shed blood and from avenging thyself from thine own hand, made, thine own hand, now let thine enemies and thou hast, and they that, that seek evil to thy Lord be as Nabal. She understood that she was the intercessor that was going to stop this calamity from happening. Can I tell you something else that's clear in her statement? She also understands that David is the king in waiting of Israel. And she acknowledges that he's the king of, in waiting. And she goes on to say that when you come into your kingdom, all I ask is that you remember us and don't forget us down here, that we have done you this service that day. And David found favor in what she said because he knew he was about to wipe everyone there out. But she stopped him. So the first thing you need to know is just because there's disagreement does not mean that you have to separate husband and wife. If ever anybody was in a situation to throw their husband under the bus, it would have been her. She could have left and David would have wiped everyone out. But who would have been served under those circumstances? If you've ever heard of a situation where people are at their wits end, Usually going with their passion and their anger is not going to give them the solution that they need. Someone needs to be able to come into their life to give them some reason, to be able to talk to them with sense. And I found out that most people, when they're mad and upset, want to talk to folk who also like to get mad and upset. They don't want to receive reason. They don't want to hear peace. They want to keep the fire few. Abigail had a plan. According to verses 32 through 37, the plan worked. David calls off, off, off his invasion. And after all Abigail's been through, guess what she does? Even though she's upset with him, she turns around and she goes back home to her husband. And how does she find him? This is the capstone on it. When she finds him, according to those verses 32 through 37, he is oblivious to the danger that was about to befall them. He's having a party. He's drunk when she gets home until she tells him exactly what's going on. 
and it shocks him to his core. And the Bible says that when she informs him of what's going to happen, he's stricken and has a stroke. And eight days later, he dies. She saved the household by looking out for her husband. Her husband had to deal. We don't know if his drinking, if his lifestyle led to an early demise. We didn't know until we read that in verse 38, and it came to pass about 10 days after that the Lord smote Nabal and he died. This is the man who acted as a fool to the future king of Israel who was saved by his own wife from the calamity that he was due to receive and he was saved because he had a wife who was good enough to reason with someone who hated him, putting her life in danger, going to David. The first lesson we learn from her is that just because you and your husband disagree doesn't mean that the marriage can't continue. She never left him. The second thing you need to know is a wife's primary role is to support her husband. That's a wife's primary role, to support her husband. That's what, that's what Abigail did. Now, I know in this modern view of living, we don't see it that way. We get into marriages for a whole lot of reasons, but that's not what the Bible says. The Bible puts a man and a woman together to be married, puts a couple together to be married so they can support one another. That means that he's got something she needs and she's got something that he needs. When you say I do to the person you're marrying, at that moment, you're accepting your role as being a helper for them, to lift them up, to support them. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying here because, because he too, not only did Abigail have those responsibilities, Nabal had those responsibilities as well, but because he was failing doesn't mean she has to step away from her role. She's to do all she's supposed to do. She's to support as much as she can, and the Lord will deal, as we saw clearly in this scripture, with Nabal. The word helper in Hebrew has the connotation of a jigsaw puzzle. In other words, every man that comes to a marriage comes with pieces missing. And when he gets his helper, that helper is the one who fits the pieces into his life. You can't be all that God intends you to be unless your helper is doing her job and, and vice versa. She can't be all that she's intended to be unless you, through your life, fit the pieces into her life. She supports him and he supports her. She makes the two of them become one flesh. Now, if ever there was a woman who had a good reason not to support her husband, clearly Abigail was that woman. He wasn't meeting her halfway. He wasn't trying to support her. He wasn't meeting her at all because he didn't feel like she was worthy of his support from that standpoint. There was no give and take in the marriage. There was no compromise from the ball. He was, by definition of his name, a fool. But just because you marry a fool doesn't mean you also have to be foolish. You can be faithful. And when you're faithful, 
and you're married to a fool, God will still honor your faith. He'll bless you and he'll take care of the circumstances. The problem is we try to take care of the entire situation so that God doesn't have room to do what he needs to do. Verse 38 asks the question, I mean, uh, uh, makes us ask the question, wh why? What happened to Nabal? Nabal got the circumstances of his living. Nabal got the circumstances of his choices. He had laid before him a plate with a good life, a good family, a good wife. He chose to spend it in riotous living. He chose to spend it in disrespect, not just in his household, but with his neighbors. He chose to spend it that way. And because he made those choices, he got the result of those choices. The wages of sin is death. And that's what came to him. Abigail stands as an extremely strong example for wives today. She did her husband good, even though he didn't deserve it, all the days of his life. And so that brings us to this last lesson that we get from Abigail, who clearly is intelligent, clearly is beautiful, clearly knows how to deal with circumstances outside of a household. And she's our example. The last thing is this. God can work in your life even in bad situations. Even in bad situations, he can be there. He can take care of those circumstances for you. Now, now one thing that's not clear in this scripture is whether or not Abigail was a praying woman. It doesn't say that she honored uh, the God of Jacob and Isaac and Abraham. It doesn't say Abraham and Isaac. and It doesn't say that. But one can simply assume, based on the fact that she already knew who David was. She didn't know David on the throne. She knew David, the warrior, who was out running from Saul. She knew, like others knew, he had already been anointed king and was simply abiding his time to get there. She knew these things, and she said as much to him. She said, when you come into what God has promised that he was going to give you, just remember me. You can imagine living with a man like Nabal all those years. She had to turn to somebody for some strength. She had to develop some kind of life that depended on some being other than herself. And clearly she had found some connection. And we can only assume that she had a fairly strong relationship with the Lord. After all, if she didn't have her faith and commitment, if they had been weak, I doubt if God would have used her to change David's course of action under those circumstances. And yet, God allowed this woman, I'm going to say, of faith to be a conduit to keep blood off David's hand. David would have continued in a murderous way had it not been for this woman coming to aid in that circumstance. I came to tell you there are plenty of women out there who have stopped men from doing negative things. Not because they stood physically in their way, but because they fell on their face before them, before the Lord and prayed for them, because they interceded for them over and over again, because they simply took care of the business of handling home, because they took care of the circumstances that God had given them. They just were good women. And because they were good women, before long, a change came over them. Yeah. 
But they're not doing it so that a change will come. They're doing it because that's their reasonable requirement to the Lord. Lord, if you bless me, I serve you. I told you I'd be a wife, and as long as I can be a wife, I'm going to do my part in being a wife. There are husbands out there who've got wives who don't appreciate them. Wives who take for granted what they do every day. But they say, Lord, if you bless me in my household, I'll be the man of this house as long as you'll allow me to. Stop taking for granted what people are doing for you, what people are helping you with. Stop taking for granted who God has blessed you with. There's an example right here, Abigail. She's hidden in scripture, but she's large in her example about how women are supposed to support their husband. Watch this. Just like Abigail, we too have to lean on God. We got to use him to help us in our daily struggles. I can't imagine how big a household was that had, four, that had to take care of shepherds enough to, to care for 4,000 animals. I can't imagine what a daily job that was. And yet, she did it with grace. She did it such that the household, watch this now, I don't know if you picked up on this, the household would not go to Nabal to talk to him, but they respected her enough to go and know that she was a good woman and that she would intercede and save them. That's the kind of example she said in the house. They knew enough that if they needed good to happen, we better go tell Miss Abigail because Miss Abigail will step in for us. And that's exactly what happened. Can I tell you a happy ending to this? If you treat it as such, after Nabal died, that left her there alone a woman with this vast estate and no one to care for. Well, lo and behold, the king, in waiting, understood what a jewel he had seen out there in the wilderness. He understood that not only did she have beauty, which caught his eye, but she also had intelligence. And so David, being the good king he was, went and got Abigail and married Abigail and made Abigail his wife and brought her back to live with him. So not only did her faithfulness get her a blessing while she was married to Nabal, her faithfulness also got her a blessing after Nabal left. The Lord continued to take care of him and married her to a man that was after his own heart. Someone who would respect her and take care of her and keep her and provide for her. Watch this. Paul wrote a scripture that I believe helps us understand these struggles that we go with. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, but we have this treasure in earthly vessels that the surpassing greatness of the power may be of God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but not despairing. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus, that the life of Jesus may also be made manifest in our bodies. We'll go through some things in this life, but it's not what you go through, it's who you go through it with. And I'd rather have the Lord on my side when I'm going through something. Abigail is a clear example that when the Lord is with you, it doesn't matter who's against you. And if you are faithful in all the situations, that he'll be faithful and he'll be just to you. So that begs the question today, who are you depending on? Who do you pray to? 
Who do you seek counsel from? I got to tell you today, you ought to be praying. You ought to be on your faith. Even before you get married, you ought to be asking the Lord, don't send me a fool, Lord. Don't send me a Nabal. Don't send me somebody who's not going to treat me right. Don't send me someone who's not going to appreciate me. But Lord, let me meet somebody. Let me be with somebody who's going to appreciate what I am and not only what I am, what I am through you. Let them receive my counsel. Let them receive my comfort. Let them receive my care, Lord. And let them receive my, 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 my commitment to you. That's important. And I believe that God is faithful enough to make sure that somebody comes to you who's going to take care of you, who's going to appreciate you, who's not going to discourage you, but who's going to always encourage you. God is good to us because he gives us what we need even before we need it sometime. I'm told there was a time when man needed to have a reunion with God and didn't know how to make it happen. And while we were yet without of the ability to make it happen ourselves, the Bible said that God sent what we needed to us. We didn't recognize him. He walked around in flesh for some 33 odd years. We didn't appreciate him. In fact, we scorned him. We rebuked him. He kept showing us time and time again, I'm what you need. But we didn't appreciate it. He healed people. He taught people. He cheered us. He pointed to his father in heaven the entire time he was here. And yet, we didn't appreciate it. The scripture said, we esteemed him not. We didn't know who he was. But there he was right in front of us. And guess what? He loved us enough that even though we didn't appreciate him, he allowed us to kill him. He allowed us to exact the punishment that his father required for us to have a reunion in heaven. What kind of love is that? That'll come and die for you. One would hope that when he's doing it, he could have a stadium full of people cheering for him, saying, thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. Instead, he had a stadium full of people jeering for him, saying, kill him, kill him, give, give us the criminal instead of the Christ. This Jesus was willing to die for us. He stayed on that cross until the Bible says heaven was satisfied. And I'm so glad the story doesn't end there. Just like in Abigail's case, there was a happy ending. In humanity's case, there's a happier ending because our story didn't end on that Friday when Jesus was crucified. It just began on Sunday morning when he was resurrected. And if you didn't know that Jesus died for you, I came to tell you, not only did he die, but he was resurrected for you. And he lives today, making intercession for us. Man was put together like a puzzle with a piece missing. And the piece you need in your life to be complete is Jesus Christ in your heart. Once you put him in your heart, you can get back in touch and have a right relationship with God our Father. It's been good talking to you today. It's been good, been good teaching you today. I know trouble will still come. I know marriages will still have issues. Marriage on a good day is hard. But when you're working together, when you're striving together, and when you have the Lord as your God, I had the wonderful pleasure this week to finish marital counseling for a couple that's about to get married. I'm so encouraged about the possibilities that await from this couple because they're going to be an example for so many people to see, so many people to know about not only their marriage but the cause of Christ. And there are others in line waiting to get married. Will it be you?
Will it be you? Will you be the next one? Don't shy away from relationships like that because you're afraid of making the right choice. Choose Jesus and he'll make you, help you make the right choice. I came today to tell you that Jesus is waiting for you to give his life, give your life to him. Have you done it? If you haven't, now's the time for you to pray. Say, Lord, I'm a sinner and I realize I need to have you in my life that you're the only one who can make me complete. I give myself to you right now, and I ask you, Lord, to not only be my Savior, but be my Lord. Guide me and keep me. It's in your name I pray. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with us again in this sanctuary. I look forward to seeing you next week when we'll come back to the church that's striving to be the friendliest church from the parking lot to the pulpit. <laughs>